morning, everybody. How you doing? We um, are in. The, by the way, if you look in the bulletin, they have the services there that Brooks was telling you about. So take that home and you can uh, use that. Um, put it on your mirror, or refrigerator, or whatever. Um, in pondering heading towards Easter, I have been thinking about this for four or five months and trying to figure out where we go as a series. We just finished up the whole Tangled series, which I thought was very significant. And uh, I felt like uh, I didn't want to just do um, the normal, you know, head towards it. And so I started to do a lot of research. I started doing a lot of reading. And um, I want to give you a, a book that I read. Not all of it you will like. Not all of it is good. But it's incredibly profound. It's called... My Promised Land, Ari Shavat, and um, it says the triumph and tragedy of Israel. I thought I knew Israeli history fairly well. Turns out I didn't really know it too well. And uh, reading it from a uh, Israeli's eyes was very uh, mind-opening. And so we're going to take a couple steps. But this morning, what we're going to do is uh, do a kind of a brief survey. Uh, of where we are and uh, and where we are in the world today, and particularly where Israel is. Uh, and so join me in prayer, would you? Father, as we uh, do this, I pray for a sense of um, perspective, both in time and of your heart. And we seek you as we head towards Easter, Lord. And uh, so often that is just another holiday. May it not be so. We seek you for something more and bigger than that. We pray for your presence and, and your transformational power in our world. We know we need it. And Lord, there are millions of teenagers and children who've never even heard your name. Not even Jesus loves me, this I know. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would turn the course of history. And we ask this in your name. Amen. As we pray about uh, the turning of the course of history, uh, the course of history is turning even as we prayed about it. Um, I pulled this uh, passage out of Isaiah. It says, the former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth, I announced them, and then suddenly I did them. They came to pass. I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you. This is Isaiah 48, verses 3 and verse 5. We're living in a day and age when people are thinking, and some of them very forcefully, I don't think it's a secret to you, that the things of God have been swept away. That they are no longer relevant. Not only are they not relevant, but they're actually harmful and need to be replaced and or obliterated to make room for the new, better things. And uh, that is an argument that has gained incredible momentum in our culture. But I want to suggest this morning that God is not daunted, that He is not persuaded, that He's not intimidated by human history, that the things that He has proclaimed from of old will come to pass, that the things that He has set in motion will happen. Some of them are playing themselves out even as we sit here this morning. But as for the vast majority, no one's even looking. And there's two ways that God does this. One is from of old. You read a lot of statements in the Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, from the beginning, from the foundations of the world, God set these things in place. And so He wants to say, I've been saying them for a long time, but you haven't been listening. The other way He does it is He says, I'm proclaiming something new to you. Something your ears have not heard before, so you can't say, oh yeah, we knew you were up to that. right? And so God is uh, working on both old and new things at the same time. But our generation is saying, we're done with God. We're tired of God. We're worn out with God. What have we gained 
from serving God. How have we benefited? The Bible warns us to be very careful and alert when we live in an age where good is called evil and evil is called good. Peter writes in his second epistle, if you want to turn there, in 2 Peter chapter 3. The spirit of what we're talking about is found in that chapter, very famous chapters. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate your wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And this morning I want to talk about uh, those thousand years. The period of history, those times that have uh, elapsed and what has gone by. I want you to uh, just, I'm blanking the screen, and I want you to look at the banners. By the way, just hats off to Margaret and Andy Smith and Zach for putting that together. It's a fabulous deal. No, that does not come from my talents. All right. Nowhere does that uh, quote slowness come more into play than in Israel and specifically Jerusalem. I want you to take a second. Just study that banner for a minute. Just look at that as we start this new series and head towards Easter. This is a view of the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. So you're looking, you're standing in the east, looking west uh, into Jerusalem. There are a lot of valuable, important, strategic places of real estate in this world. Los Angeles, New York. Tokyo, London, Rome, Beijing, Moscow, just to name a few. But what you are looking at right here is the most valuable, strategic, important, and might I add contested piece of real estate on the planet. Right there. This is the heart of it all. This is the apple of God's eye. This is the place where it's all going to roll out. This is the place where all history comes together is what you're looking at right now. All of history, all politics, all religious debates will culminate on this piece of turf that you're looking at right here. Israel has often been a target, but some recent developments have repainted the bullseye on it once again. Once again, the eyes of the world are on this piece of turf and it only promises to intensify. Let me give you a couple things here. First of all, there's a new bullseye, oil and gas. All right. The joke in Israel is that when God led Israel to the promised land, He gave them the only land in the Middle East without oil. Think about that. That's pretty funny, unless you're Israel, because you don't have any oil. Um, that's now no longer true. 
There have been some amazing finds in the last 10 years. 10 years ago, uh, Israel used 80% coal to provide its energy. The other 20% that it used was oil, all of which had to be imported. Today, in three known offshore oil fields, Noah, Mary B., and Tamar, those three combined together have 9 billion cubic feet of gas. Now, just to put that in perspective so you understand, because most of us go, well, what does that mean? Uh, 9 uh, billion cubic feet of gas. Roughly, that would be what the United States consumes in a year. All right? But you're talking about Israel that has a population of only 8 million people. All right? So we're talking 9 billion cubic feet of gas will do them for a decade or so. All right? That isn't the only discoveries offshore. They now uh, uh, are looking. There's other gas reserves. Plus, now they have discovered oil shale deposits, much like we have in Canada and um, in the Rockies here in the United States, that are now, n- now known and haven't been tapped yet, enough to provide Israel's energy needs for multiple decades and could turn Israel into a regional superpower in terms of energy. This has an impact. In 2012, just a a year and a half ago, Vladimir Putin, now aware of the potential in Cyprus, in the Cyprus-Israeli section of the Mediterranean. By the way, Cyprus is Russian-friendly and deals with Russia in terms of their pipeline and their oil and gas. Uh, Vladimir Putin uh, paid a visit to Jerusalem and visited the Wailing Wall. I do not think it was because he was interested in converting. All right. Russia's um, energy eye is already trained on this new turn of events. And we have already seen what has happened in the Crimea and what they're doing. But even bigger things are and have been brewing in this region when it comes to and it shall come to pass. There are a number of factors that simply say, oh, no, it won't. And let me let's take a look at a couple of those before. And so as the world now relooks at Israel from an energy perspective, there's some other Uh, pictures that are very important. Here's a map of the Middle East. The last five years have been tumultuous in terms of what's become known as the Arab Spring and the overthrow of several governments that were supportive or at least neutral uh, towards Israel. The most notable turns were the overthrow of the Egyptian government by the Muslim Brotherhood. The second is the switch of the government of Turkey, once a staunch ally and a stabilizing influence in the Middle East. Uh, now decidedly hostile. In essence, as you look at this map, and if you look up there, you can see Israel, that little tiny orange piece there. It leaves Israel um, uh, without an ally in the entire Middle East. They are completely surrounded by enemies and those who want their destruction, most notably Iran, which has publicly gone on record as wanting the extinction of Israel as a nation and is building a nuclear arsenal to accomplish that goal. Israel still has the United States, Great Britain, and France, but even those once stalwart allies are wavering in their support. And Israel may soon find itself alone in the world when it comes to its survival. This then leads to a couple of other factors that have to be considered when assessing the present circumstances that Israel finds itself in. If we... Take that picture and blow it up a little bit. What you're looking at here is a map of Israel and the salmon part of it. And you see the two salmon parts are what's called the West Bank. All right. 
The Palestinian problem is a huge internal factor. Israel faces a lot of external factors, but also one huge internal factor, which is the Palestinian problem. In 1948, the year of Israel's statehood, over 700,000 Palestinians were driven from Israel into refugee camps. Their towns and villages were bulldozed and they were displaced into what now is known as the West Bank. They have not left and they have not forgotten. They believe the land has always been theirs and they will not give up until they get it back. In Muslim thought and theology, once a piece of land is yours, it always belongs to you. And so there are uh, tremendous claims placed upon this parcel of land. There are now in that salmon, those two salmon-colored areas, up there are 1.6 million Palestinians. Add to that the 350 million Arabs that surround, and add to that the 1.5 billion Muslims surrounding them, and you have an extremely scary situation. The masters have become the minority, and a very extremely small minority at that. Next picture takes you to what's called the East Gate or the Golden Gate of Jerusalem, or also known as the Beautiful Gate uh, in Jerusalem. It faces the east. Uh, you see the cemetery in front of it. The claim to the land is intense and real as revealed by this photo. This is what's known um, as the primary gate. It's the gate through which Jesus came riding through on the back of a donkey. Wikipedia, if you look it up, says uh, it's interesting because you see it all blocked off. Why it's blocked off is Ottoman Sultan Suleiman, the Magnificent, sealed off the Golden Gate in 1541. While this may have been purely for defensive reasons, the Jewish tradition is that the gate through which, this is the gate through which the Messiah will enter Jerusalem. And it's suggested that Suleiman the Magnificent sealed the Golden Gate to prevent Messiah's entrance. The Ottomans also built a cemetery in front of the gate in the belief that the precursor to the Messiah, Elijah, would not be able to pass through the Golden Gate because of the cemetery, and thus the Messiah would not come. This belief is based upon two premises. First, according to Islamic teaching, Elijah is a descendant of Aaron, making him a priest or a Kohen. And second, that a Jewish rabbi or Kohen is not permitted to enter a cemetery. All right. And so what you have here is... Um, the Muslim world being very aware of the Jewish world's tradition and theology. And so to keep out, they block it. Right? Makes a lot of sense. If When we grew up in our house, had eight kids, if you want to keep your brother and sister out, you shut the door. Right? And that's kind of what you've got going on here, only it's a big door. Right? And it's a very in, intense. Another... Uh, Factor leading to this even more intense and serious than this is this next picture. This is the Aliask Mosque. Now, this mosque should not be confused with this mosque on the central frame here. This mosque here is the Dome on the Rock. All right? Uh, and that's what most people, it's on the Temple Mount, and that's what most people associate when they think of the Temple Mount. But the Aliask Mosque is also on the Temple Mount. Um, and again, if you go to Wikipedia, um, this is what you see on the screen here, the third holiest site in Islam and is located in the old city of Jerusalem. The site on which the Silver Dome Mosque sits along 
with the Dome of the Rock, also referred to as, an, it's an Arab name I can't pronounce, uh, which means noble sanctuary, is the Temple Mount, the holiest site in Judaism. The place where the temple is generally accepted to have stood. Muslims believe that Muhammad was transported from the sacred mosque in Mecca to Aliosk during the night journey. Islamic tradition holds that Muhammad led prayers towards this site until the 17th month after the emigration, and then God directed him to return to Kaaba. All right, so in Muslim theology, this is an incredibly important place. So you have two groups who claim the same site and claim the same uh, uh, religious importance to that exact same site. And that tension is not going away. Actually, if you uh, talk to Muslims, the Muslims feel the story of King Solomon Temple is pure fiction. There never was a, a, a second, uh, a first temple. And they contest the claim of the Jews and point to the last 1,400 years that they have held possession of the land. And to them, they are the true claimants of the land. They are one with the land, and the Jews are the usurpers and the immigrants. Never had a right to the land, never had a claim to the land, don't belong in the land, and they will be displaced. So we're talking about a depth here of thinking that um, we are not used to in the West. Which brings us back to Abraham. As we head towards Easter, 2014, we are looking at all these events shaping right now our world as we sit here. It is a powder keg. It is waiting for some catalytic event to touch off the fuse to light this up. Abraham is also a point of contention. All three major religions, Christianity, Jewish, and Muslim, claim Abraham as the father of their faith. But from the Jewish and Christian perspective, the promises come through Isaac. And therefore, all the promises that we know, that we understand uh, from the Old and New Testament, and the idea that it shall come to pass, come through the promises that were given to Abraham and the promises that come through Isaac. From the Christian perspective, Isaac is a forerunner or foreshadow of Jesus' ministry here on earth. You know the story well. God came to Abraham and tested him and said, Abraham, and he said, yes, Lord. He said, I want you to take your son, your only son. And here's where Muslims uh, claim there's a difference. Abraham's first son and most important son was Ishmael, right? Isaac is the usurper in their eyes. But in God's eyes, Isaac is the claimed one. And he said, I want to take your only son. I want you to go to the mountains of Moriah and I want you there to sacrifice your son. And so Abraham obeyed. He took him. And uh, as you can see in the story, Isaac is carrying the wood and Abraham's carrying the fire and the flint. And um, they get to the place and Isaac says, Hey, Dad, I, I, I see the wood and I see the stuff, but, but where's the lamb? And Abraham says that most famous line, God himself will provide the lamb. Right? And so Abraham takes the wood and he binds his son and he puts him on that wood and he's fully at the place where he's going to kill his son because God asked him to. And God stays his hand and says, Now I know you love me above all things. And because you've done this, your descendants will be as the stars of the heaven. Look up and count them if you can. 
And then they looked over in the thicket and there was a ram caught in the thicket and they take the ram and they take it and they use that as the sacrifice. That spot where Abraham experienced that trial. And I can only imagine what that would be like. I have one son. I can't imagine doing that. That spot is the spot that you are looking at right here in the center frame. And God promised He would bring one like Isaac that would be the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And He said, and it shall come to pass. If you think about that, from Abraham to Jesus is just about uh, 2,000 years. That's a long stretch. But it did come to pass. And we'll be taking a look at some of the things Jesus fulfilled uh, in the next couple weeks in terms of some of the things that God put in the Old Testament with the festivals and how He lined up with the festivals. But as we sit here this morning, this story, which is ancient, I mean, it's older than me. It's old. Right? Is the pivotal story in the history of the world in this section of land that we're looking at right here. On that spot is where this story happened. And again, all of history is going to come back to that spot that we look at and that we're thinking about. There are powerful forces at work in our world today. Right now, we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're also told that we are to lift up our heads and look for the return of our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are very, very intense competing theologies in the world today. And I don't think any of them are going to back down. And so how will that play out? We don't know. But right now again, once again, this little piece of turf, this piece of real estate that you're looking at is in the center of the bullseye. The discovery of oil has put them right smack dab in the center of the conversation again. The problems and these issues we just walked through have put them right smack in the face again. It is simmering. It is boiling. You've read the news. You've read the headlines. You know the kind of things that are there. And the Bible says when you see these things happening, lift up your head and start looking. Start praying. And we as a church need to be watching. And we as a church need to be praying and looking for where this is going to go. I am not a time person. I'm not a day person. But I would tell you that as you look over the details of what I presented to you this morning, it is a dire message. It is one that is shaping, there are forces shaping it right now like I have never seen in my 58 years of life. And I'm looking at that and going, wow, where are we in history? And we're going to consider some of these things as we go farther and as we head towards Easter I suspicion in the next few years, Easter's will be different than what they've been in the past. As these things swirl and shake our world, we are to look for and be prepared for His return. For everything God has said that He will do, 
Everything he has predicted, everything he has said that is thus saith the Lord, or and it shall come to pass in regards to this piece of real estate and turf right here is going to play itself out and it will happen as he laid it out from the foundations of the world. He's not asking us if we're ready or not. He's asking us to get ready. He's asking us to be alert. He's asking to set stuff aside. He's asking to set our idols aside. In that Isaiah passage, uh, that was for Israel. And if you read the whole passage in the context of it, it was put your idols away. Put your things aside. Give your heart wholly to me. For everything that God has said that He will do will happen. And it shall come to pass. Let's pray this morning. Father, as we uh, go through this, I recognize that there are a lot more details. There's a lot more information. There's a lot more study. But this is pretty accurate. We don't know exactly your heart. We don't know exactly your timing. But we ourselves have sensed the intensity increasing. We have been sitting kind of in a false bubble uh, and just watching and uh, trying to anticipate what's going to happen. Lord, as we come to Easter this year, as we move through the next several weeks, we pray for a, a renewed focus on You. A renewed focus. Uh, I appreciate, Lord, uh, when I watch football, that other teams have fans and other teams are intense and other teams won't back down. But I also appreciate the fact that we don't either. And Lord, that's true when it comes to faith in You. Others are intense. Others are making claims. Others are making challenges. But Lord, we believe it's Your claims and Your challenges that will stand at the end of the day. And we pray that we're lined up with You in that. We pray You would line not just our head, line our hearts up. Lord, we pray for our country. We ask that You would be at work in redemptive and transformational ways where people come to know You in living ways. And we seek You for that while we have time. And we ask this in Your name. Amen.